Hi there, I'm Katie Kaplan, an investigative journalist. And I'm Em, a former special agent. And together, we are thrilled to introduce you to our new true crime podcast, Two Sleuths. Together, we are diving into a mix of solved and unsolved cases and looking at them through the lens of our investigative experiences. So come check us out and listen to our three-part series that dives into a modern-day Jack the Ripper case that no one seems to know about. In this series, we introduce you to the Butcher of Mons, and time is of the essence in this case, with only four years remaining to catch him. Be on the forefront of that investigation and others by following us at Two Sleuths, available wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Sirens, a true crime podcast brought to you by the Sirens Network. This podcast contains explicit content, so listener discretion is advised. The opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the views of the hosts and do not reflect the views of affiliates, associates, or sponsors of this podcast. This is Sirens, a true crime podcast. I know way too much about this. So, so <laughs> I hope you do. I can talk. I hope so. You know, yeah. forever. Because so I have questions. If I'm too far in, oh, or you know, you could just, never be. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No. Here, no. you could okay. never be. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, that's not a thing that's okay. going to happen. Okay. Well, obviously, we have a guest with us today. Yes. Um, his name is Joe Johnston. I'm actually going to let you tell us a little bit about you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> And uh, happy to be uh, talking about the case we're going to talk about today. I was born in Missouri. I grew up in Tulsa. and That's how you know that he's from the South, Missouri. Missouri, <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> and um, had uh, a couple of careers. I had a nice career in advertising. and I've, uh, Yeah, that's what we were going to talk about earlier. Yes, we had we a question for you. We saw you were an you. ad man. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but we had one particular question. It's just one little thing. Okay, I saw this on your website, and I didn't know if you were serious or not. The Happy Meal? That's correct. <gasps> wow! That's so I, exciting. I apologize. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, I'll give you the 25 okay. uh, word or less version of that story. This was in uh, a long time ago, and, and McDonald's was young, and it's hard to imagine it now, but kids didn't like their hamburgers because they were dry and flat, yeah. and mm-hmm. kids didn't want to go to McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had Ronald and uh, the Hamburglar and all that stuff, but mm. they really didn't know what to do with them, and they never did anything with them outside the store and advertising. So, you know, the TV commercials mm-hmm. and such. So um, the parents of little kids are the best customers for McDonald's because they're on the go. They have stuff going all the time. Mm-hmm. They don't have to, time mm-hmm. to cook. They need to feed a bunch of people cheap. And uh, so we came up, we did some research and we made um, one of the one of the keys to this was making toys out of the uh, packaging. Mm. We said put the hamburger in a box and print on the box so it becomes a toy, like mm-hmm. a little truck. We had made several of them that made a train and so forth. Am I over twenty five words? I guess no, I, I am. We would, yeah, yeah. Okay. just keep going. Um, <laughs> we like it. And then it's fine. we would um, we knew that. Somebody was going to object to grease on the packaging right. and say, well, you can't let your uh, children play with all this greasy stuff. Yeah. And so we went through a process of, of computing the grease quotient. 
of oh. each item. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was very scientific. <laughs> okay, so anyway, we came up with the idea that you do all this stuff, fun and games, puzzles and stuff for the kids, and uh, put that together, and, and that'll help attract them to McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And we said, but it really doesn't work unless you put a toy in the package. Yep. And yep. at the time, there was no way to buy those little toys. Um, like individually? At, yes, at in in the quantity at at the price that right. would make it work. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, if you think about what was in Cracker Jacks. Yes. You know, yeah. like a rub-off tattoo or, you yeah. know, some little plastic something. That wasn't enough, you know, for a, a meal mm-hmm. at McDonald's. So it was only when McDonald's took it over uh, and was able to buy toys made offshore in in the billions. Yeah. Uh, they could get really cool toys and do movie tie-ins and all that. But I will say this. Um, at the same time we were doing that, there were other people who had the same idea. And it, it actually came at McDonald's from, over a period of about three or four years, it came to them from about three different sources. Wow. And they gave it to an advertising agency in Kansas City to roll it out. That is so wow. wild. Kansas City. I know. That's yeah, so yeah. wild. Yeah. I love my Kansas City. That is such a crazy... Like, you've done so much stuff. I know. It's just some cool stuff. Yes. Like, we were talking about, um, your, a little bit about your Nashville career. What did you do in Nashville? Wrote songs and produced music. That's so Wow. Published music. Yeah, I had saw that you had worked with a bunch of cool people. Charlie Daniels and, um, was it The Chicks? The, oh, the yeah. Chicks. Yeah. And Vince. Vince. Oh, Vince. my gosh, I love Vince. Who's from Oklahoma? The best yes. Okie ever. Yes. yes. What were we going to ask about? Eight seconds? Yes, eight seconds. That's a <laughs> bit. She well, loves eight seconds. I, when, when she said that, I went, oh. <laughs> because I, you know, I've always liked. I got bull riders in my family. Yeah. I oh, Actually, really? as a matter of fact, so when I started this podcast, I had just lost a cousin um, to homicide. And... <laughs> It's weird because he was actually named after Lane Frost. His name was Lane. So, yeah. Wow. And he was a bull rider, and they did all of that. Yeah. I was always, a, I've always loved bull riding, and I went and, you know, kept up with him. I kept up with him. And so when they did eight seconds, I was like, yes, they're doing eight, you know, they're doing it. It's Oklahoma. They're mm-hmm. doing it here, you know. And so that was pretty cool for me. So when she told me that you did it, I was like, yes. Worked on the music on it, right? I had a song in it. Wrote a song that was recorded by Mark Chestnut. Oh, I love Mark Chestnut. What song was it? Uh, Texas is bigger than it used to be. Oh my god! Oh wow! That's I, wild. I know. That's so wild. I feel it's such a small world sometimes. Okay, so when were you like, all right, enough of this. Let's, <laughs> let's go write some books because you you also wrote a bunch of books. You're like super into um, like Wild West sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I'm really interested in, uh, I'm really a history writer and I, um, I got really interested in uh, vigilantism in the Old West mm-hmm. and wrote it. Part of it came about from a family story um, about uh, a very distant relative of mine who was murdered in Missouri in 1883, wow. and I thought, well, I need to get to the bottom of that because nobody in the family ever had, so yeah. I started researching it, and I said, oh my gosh, this is a book, so I wrote a book, and uh, it was published by the Missouri History Museum, 
then they, uh, the name of that book is the Mac Marsden Murder Mystery. And that's the one I was like super interested in. I was like, I got to get that one. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting. History Museum said, well, what else do you know about vigilantism? And so they did two more books. So it's a series. The first one is that specific case about Mac Marsden. The second one is called uh, Necessary Evil. And it is a history, kind of a broad view of mm. uh, vigilantism in the Old West, mostly about Missouri, but it mostly happened in Missouri. It's unbelievable because of uh, Missouri's status in the Civil War. It mm-hmm. spawned this vigilante mentality in Missouri. And there were people from the north and people from the south all living there. There's an area east of Kansas City called Little Dixie. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And that kind of thinking just went on. So uh, that's the second book. And then the third book is called It Ends Here, which is uh, has a lot of Oklahoma in it uh, because of uh, a guy called uh, the Oklahoma Kid and some other connections here in Oklahoma City. The guy uh, uh, here in Oklahoma guy who shot see if I can get this right the guy who killed Jesse James was killed by a guy who ended up being in Oklahoma so okay oh yeah so it was that was like a circular Jesse James kind of yeah. book where like starts with Jesse James and then goes to another guy and another I've guy and all that. these murders and then back to Jesse James assassination yeah well and I've got to I want to read all of those but I that one just really interests because my I think I've told you before my great grandpa, I know him as Paul, but his name was <laughs> his name was Jesse James. Hello. Yeah, <laughs> and he ran a gambling ring on the on the river from Oklahoma and Arkansas. Oh wow! And they all those big time guys used to come and gamble right there because they the the authorities couldn't get them because they were on that river. That's and scary. So, yeah, and so that's what he did, and he was, my mom said he was the nicest guy she's ever met in her life, like he was just an incredible guy, but they went down there, and they ran, and there were some big guys there, like I think Capone, I mean some big, yes, yes, wow. and I told my mom, you need to write a book about this, you know, from what yeah. he said, of course he's been gone a long time, mm-hmm. but just interesting, you know, because I love history stuff. all those guys were, you know, kind of during that time you're talking about were down there. Wow. Yeah. So that's wild. Yeah. That's so wild. And you do have other books. I saw something about um, a cookbook or. I wrote um, Grits to Glory. Yeah. Uh, how Southern Cooking Got So Good. Yeah. And oh, it's, wow. Uh, and it's. Uh, like the history of Southern the, cooking. Yeah, there are no recipes in it. It's, yeah. it's the history, why people in the South eat the stuff they eat. And I need, to, how these <laughs> I recipes need that one. And, you, know, so, <laughs> you know, people uh, up North eat chocolate and they eat cakes. In the South, we eat pies mm-hmm. because fruit grows great in the South. Yeah. All kinds of fruit. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. And the case that we're talking about today... Uh, I have a new book, which I'm going to publish myself. Oh, here we go. And um, it's called I Didn't Kill That Kid. The subtitle is Art Fleek's Fight for Wayne Garrison. And Art was his defense attorney. His whole life. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Yeah, for like all the cases. I just read that like 
all the cases because there are two from his childhood and then of course the one later in life which mm-hmm. we'll get into but yeah I just think that's wild to be someone's defense attorney like their entire life I know so we're gonna do something a little different usually we're the ones telling the story <laughs> but today we're gonna let you tell the story so you tell it which however, is awesome because however you kinda... see fit it's like it's gonna be like a documentary but in my own studio Okay. And we might butt in every now and then with questions. Please butt in. Please butt in. I'll I'll just uh, ramble here, and uh, you just tell me when to uh, shut up. Wayne Henry Garrison was born at Hillcrest Hospital. Grew up here in Tulsa. Hillcrest. Uh Wow. Wow. Went to. My husband uh, works in and out of Hillcrest. That's yeah. My grandpa was born there. See. Um, Yeah. Sorry. Very old hospital. Yeah. Um, he went to uh, uh, Tulsa Elementary Schools and, and uh, grew up on the north side. Um, there was a chapter of, in our history, <clears throat> if you can imagine, the airport and the Gilcrease Expressway mm-hmm. going across there. Before the Gilcrease Expressway, those were homes all in that area. So it took out a lot of homes, oh, wow. cut a lot of streets off, mm-hmm. uh, made dead ends out of them. Um, so we're going to get get back to that but that's the area where he grew up so he was born in 1959 um fast forward to 1989 he is married he has a son he owns a home on north rockford uh and he has a little car repair business uh, an auto shop called choppers um he named it that because he wanted to modify cars he wanted to customize cars chop them and lower them and oh right okay paint them and stuff so he named the place choppers in 1989 that's his situation there was uh, a boy a 14 year old boy missing in the neighborhood and uh Police started investigating this. He went missing on a Tuesday. This boy is going to end up found dead. And Wayne Henry Garrison is now doing life without parole in an Oklahoma prison for that boy's murder. And he's been in prison for about 23 years. Wow. He's 63 years old, something like that. That's so wild. I mean, I'm rounding off there. Sure. So let me jump on down here. So this little boy is missing. He's 14, but he looks probably 12. Looked young for yourself. Yeah, I saw his picture. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. Cute little guy. Yeah. Uh, kind of a modified mullet hairdo. He has huge front mm-hmm. teeth and great big eyes and freckles. He lived three blocks from the outsider's house. Oh, that's we're what we were talking, talking about, about that. That's so strange. Uh, Wayne lived on uh, Rockford. Coming down Rockford, coming south, he would go past this little kid's house, Justin Wiles, mm-hmm. on the corner, uh, the next very next block. Two more blocks, you turn left on Independence, and you pass the Outsider's house, mm-hmm. and then in the right in the in that next block is his car repair shop. Oh wow! So all of this okay. is in within about four blocks. Oh wow! I didn't. Okay. That's good to know because I didn't know. We're always asking questions like, okay, well, how far was his work from his home? You're just, see, you're answering well, it, it all. it does make a difference when you're. It really does, especially in timeline. Timelines. Yeah. A yeah. uh, little boy goes missing Tuesday night. 
The police start looking for him on Wednesday. Somebody calls the police. There's an anonymous call to the police and says, it's a mail caller, and he says, you need to look at Wayne Henry Garrison. He lives five houses away from this kid. Well, the detective who got the call was a man named Van, and he knew who Wayne was, called Wayne and said, would you come downtown and answer some questions about a case we're working on? Wayne said, sure. So he drove downtown, answered some questions. Do you know this kid? Yeah, he hung around the shop. He's a neighborhood kid. He's missing. Do you know where he is? No. I haven't seen him since Tuesday. And they said, great, okay, you can go home. That was the end of that. On Friday, some fishermen found um, what they thought was the head of a mannequin floating in a little lake out south of Bixby called Lake Bixoma. Mm. And they poked at it with an oar, and they said, well, that's, that's not even real. It doesn't even look real. And then the next day, there were some other fishermen at the lake uh, Saturday morning, they found what looked like some fingers sticking up out of the dirt, and sure enough, they were fingers, and they were connected to an arm. So they called police. Police came out. They found the head. They found a torso under a bright blue plastic, uh, bright blue tarp held down by some rocks. Mm. And it was, of course, the body of Justin Wiles, this little 14-year-old boy, most of his body. His legs were missing. His uh, left arm was missing, and his genitals were missing. Mm, that's horrific. Yes. I'm sure you're going to get to this. Was, did they eventually find everything or no? They never found the rest of the body. Oh, my gosh. They said, well, we need to talk to Wayne Garrison again. And we're thinking, why are they keying in on Wayne Garrison? Well, we're going to get back to that. Uh, so they went to his shop, to Choppers, said do you mind if we uh, ask you some questions about this? Uh, And he said, I want to talk to my lawyer first. And they totally ignored that and took pictures of him and searched his place and all that. Whoa. Yeah. And um, so we're going to... Unauthorized. Violating his rights. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, they took him downtown and questioned him again and again turned him loose. They said there's... This is fine. Okay, so they did search his home, though, even though it was unauthorized. Did they find anything? They did not have a search warrant. They asked him, and he gave them permission. Mm. He said, you can search my home. You can search my business. Take anything you want. He was totally cooperative. Mm -hmm. They searched both places. They took a slew of pictures. Um, They took a shovel. I think they took a couple of knives from the kitchen, but they didn't find anything like actually that tying him no, to nothing, the victim. Nothing. Wow. Okay. While this was going on, the the Justin's stepfather found out that they were questioning Wayne. So he became convinced that Wayne did something to his son. He mm. told a reporter. A reporter told the neighbors and the neighbors started talking about it. And pretty soon the neighbors were in a frenzy. People were watching him through binoculars. Somebody followed Wayne's wife out of the neighborhood right on her bumper for a couple of miles. Wow. Uh, Somebody broke into their house and stole a phone and something else and, you know, a couple little things. So they were just terrified, and nobody would play with their kid. He stopped going to school. Uh, That's sad. And they decided that they were going to have to move, um, which they did. They moved to North Carolina. They wow. just they couldn't live in that neighborhood anymore. Mm-hmm. They, people threatened to lynch them. Everybody was talking about it. Jeez. It was in the paper. The reporters loved it. Reporters were camped out 
on their in front of their house, trying to get a picture of them, trying to get an interview, and the uh, police chief issued a statement that we've questioned, uh, we've interviewed uh, Mr. Garrison, and he is no longer a suspect. He is not a suspect in this case. Cleared. Didn't make any difference. In the public's mind, he was guilty. So uh, Wayne and his wife and his little boy uh, packed up everything they could get in their car and moved away to North Carolina. That's what we're always talking about. There are more victims than just the victim. Oh, yes. No, no, that's no, that was totally right on. You're absolutely right. Um, the fear and the, uh, the list of victims are, are both pervasive. Well, after a little bit longer, this case goes completely cold. The cops have nothing. Fast forward now. We're going to jump up to 1999, 10 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Justin was killed in the summer of 89. We're going to jump up 10 years. Tulsa police arrest Wayne Garrison in North Carolina, extradite him and bring him back and put him on trial for murdering Jason, Justin. Wow. He was convicted of the murder in 2001. He was sentenced to death. The conviction was appealed, and that was commuted to life without parole. So the question is, why Wayne? Why did all this mm-hmm. focus on Wayne in the beginning, and why did Tulsa cops uh, refuse to stop trying to make a case on him? Uh, now I'm going to introduce you to his attorney, Art Fleek. Mm-hmm. Art um, was is... Uh, a native Tolson also went to the same schools that I did and went to the same high school that Wayne and I did. Oh, we wow. all went to Will Rogers High School. Wow. Um, Art Fleek was a big football star. He went, uh, When the Will Rogers Ropers won the district football uh, championship, he was all district. He was recruited by all the schools in the, in the uh, conference around here, which was the Big Eight. Now the Big 12, it was the Big 8 mm-hmm. then. Um, he was uh, offered a scholarship to all those schools, and he chose OSU uh, because they always got beat by OU, and he wanted to beat OU. So sure enough, they did his first two years at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State beat OU by one point <laughs> each year. All thanks to Art Fleek. That's uh, awesome. He was a big uh, football star, and he – could have gone pro, had no interest in that. He did spend a year as a, a coach at OSU and then went to Tulsa Law School. Out of law school, he's looking for a job. Mm-hmm. And he found out that the county was wanting to hire a juvenile public defender. Uh, at the time, our juvenile justice center was a little one-story building that Fleek said looked like it had been uh, designed by the per- same person who designed a brown paper bag. Oh, uh, it was out in the river bottom right next to the levee, uh, and it was actually surrounded on two sides by uh, a, a car graveyard that was with smashed cars. Oh, wow. Uh, so that's where the kids were uh, that's taken for juvenile court. very aesthetically pleasing. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the what least hopeful places on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> so he goes out there and applies for this job and gets hired. He's just a year out of law school. 
and he's uh, hired as Tulsa County's first juvenile public defender. Wow. There has been a shift in uh, our our law, uh, law enforcement in the state. We had uh, went from county prosecutors to district attorneys. Mm-hmm. Our first district attorney was S.M. Buddy Fallis. Mm-hmm. Um, Buddy Fallis was a no-nonsense bulldog of a district attorney. The Brook Theater had just set attendance records for showing The Sound of Music for over a year. Oh, wow. Big deal. Mm -hmm. And then they brought in this uh, dark European film called Blow Up, John Travolta, and it had a couple of naked seconds in it. Uh Uh-oh. And some other kind of... You know, so Uh-oh. Buddy Fallis made them uh, not allow anyone under 18 in the theater, and he made them edit the nude scene out. What? Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. What's the point of not having kids in there if we can't watch the whole thing? Yeah, exactly. We want <laughs> to see. Saying. We want to see that backside right there. So anyway, I'm just saying. <laughs> so Buddy was cracking down on crime. Uh, that also at the same also part of this restructuring, we got our first juvenile judge. Joe, mm. his name was Joe Jennings, uh, handsome guy in his fifties, um, with uh, big black glasses. Uh, so here we had the tall, the county's first district attorney, the county's first juvenile j- judge, and the county's first juvenile public defender, all okay. coming into their jobs about the same time. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Fleek's cases were kids who had uh, maybe had a little, got caught with a little bit of weed. They stole some hubcaps. Mm. They shoplifted some cologne for petty, their girlfriend. Yeah. Petty crimes. Yeah, little stuff like that. Yeah. So they would get arrested, take them down to the juvenile center. Their parents come down there. They have a little hearing. They say, we're going to let you go on probation. They get along just fine. They come back and check in with the judge and everybody's happy, mm-hmm. you know. And sometimes the parents have been a little lax. They just need, you know, mm-hmm. it's a matter a of shaping up the pa- parents. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what Fleek's, was life, uh, Fleek's life was like until um, he got, there was a kid missing in town, a little boy named Craig Brandon Neal, five years old, lived in the same neighborhood out by the airport, by it, but Kilcrease Expressway mm-hmm. was in by that time, and there was a tremendous search for him. Lasted a week. Aww. There were hundreds of people. The Tulsa World said there were 500 people in the field looking for him most of the time. Uh, we had volunteers on bicycles going through Mohawk Park. There were people all over the streets. There were uh, mounted posse was out, you know, with their cowboy wow. hats and their mirrored sunglasses and squeaky saddles and all that. Mm. It was just. While the search is going on, the detective in charge of the search was Detective Van, and an anonymous call came into police headquarters and said, you need to look at Wayne Henry Garrison. He lives across the street from Craig Neal. This sounds awful familiar. And and what year was this? This was uh, 73. 73, so it was quite a... 15 years before... Uh, Justin Wiles. Yeah, but that's so similar. Like an anonymous call that says you need to look at this guy. That's, come on. But that's that's so interesting. That's, that would be that far spread apart. You would have a, another anonymous. Like, who is this person that's like just 
following this kid around his whole life going, hey, shouldn't you got to look at that guy? That, that's just weird. There's one guy out there who was just peeping wow. on him. <laughs> anyway. Hang on to that I'm thought. sorry. <laughs> Both of you keyed in on that immediately. It's just weird. Who did not key in on that? Well. Tulsa police. <laughs> we're, we're like, well, sorry, Tulsa police. Yeah. You should have. Yeah. Okay, so um, it turns out that um, Detective Van went to Craig's house. He lived, uh, I mean, Wayne's house. He honestly did live diagonally across the street. Wow. Um, and they found Craig's Neal's body under the house. Oh. oh. This little five-year-old boy. There's even more to that story. I already have thoughts. <laughs> I do. My psychology's kicking in. I have thoughts already. Let's pick this apart. Detective Van already knew his name because two years before this, oh my gosh, the night before Halloween, so nineteen seventy-one, Wayne had been spending the night with some cousins, a girl cousin who was older. I can't remember, eight or nine maybe, and a little bit uh, toddler, eighteen oh. months, two-year-old toddler. The next morning. Uh, he was home. He went back home. They found that little girl right away under her house. And that was his cousin. That was his cousin. Oh wow! I did not realize that was his cousin. Wow. So Detective Van was on that case. He knew Wayne. Everybody, of course, everybody in Tulsa, everybody, all the police, of course, knew Wayne from the connection to that case. So here he is that he's cra- killed Craig Neal. Two years later, when Wayne killed the little girl, of course, Buddy Fallis tried to get him declared an adult. How old was he at he the time? He was only 11. Oh, oh. I, I have no Whoa. words for and that. And nobody was going to hear of that. No. Whoa. You know, the judge said, look, he's a kid. And here's the thing. At the age of 11, Wayne was something like, uh, I don't know, five foot six and weighed 120 or 30 pounds. So he pounds. was, yeah, physically he, he mature. He was a huge guy, okay. yeah. Yeah. And he just didn't know how to play with anybody, yeah. especially somebody small like that. So he... Um, socially they, awkward? Very socially okay, awkward. Yeah. Uh, they, and they, there's a categorization of juvenile at that time called a neglected child. Mm-hmm. And he was declared a neglected child um, and sent to the state... Um, Reformatory, mm. is it? Uh, Griffin Memorial. Memorial. I actually did an in- counseling internship when I in my master's degree there. Well, they uh, had Wayne, and of course he was in. He went back and forth between just detention and going to the, the hospital. Got psychiatric. Got a lot of study, psychiatric mm-hmm. treatment. They sent him home for three uh, uh, home visits, and the fourth visit that he went home, he killed the little girl. The first, th- first three visits went fine. So he was already in and out of right. m- getting mental help right. when this happened. Right. Wow. And was there a lot of discord? You know, you said you kind of came from not a very... Was there a lot of discord in the family? A lot of... Boy, I'll say. Okay. Oh, oh man. Um, but nobody really knew. What his home was like. So it's it kind of... You know, at the time, uh, kids placed in foster care, in a foster home, you couldn't talk about adoption. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. Uh, the goal was always to reunite the kid with yeah. the family. Yeah. So uh, mm. that's why they kept trying to send Wayne back to his family and make that okay, and it never was okay. Yeah. Uh, the case, um, by the way, is in Fleek's hands, and they're trying to – Wayne is now 13. They're trying to declare him an adult and uh, try him as an adult for murder, get him convicted to uh, for life, possibly executed. We don't know. You know, Art Fleek convinced him. He said, you know, this kid can be saved. We need to send him back and let him finish the work that they're doing, mm. and he can be saved. And he convinced him, and Judge Jennings uh, sent him back. To Griffin Memorial? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if a lot of people know about Griffin Memorial, but, I mean, it was not a joke. I mean, you, if you went there, there were a lot of people there. I mean, a lot of adults there. I don't know how they kept, the children away mm -hmm. from the adults, but I could imagine that if you were a child, you know, 13 or 11, 12, 13, and you were sent there, a lot of those people would probably be scare you. I mean, yeah, you would be scary. scared of, the, I mean. In his case, he was probably somewhat scared to be home. So did he ever admit to killing these children? He can signed a confession. Oh. And it's, uh, it's the kind of confession where. Coerced. <laughs> Let me set the narrative, and you just tell me that, oh, yeah, that's what happened. Put yeah. the words in his mouth. Yeah, We actually you know. see yeah. that a lot so of cases. So what happened lot. next? Yeah. What happened next? Did this happen? Mm -hmm. Did this happen? That's Did this such, happen? That's leading. Well, and that's one thing. I'll tell you, I was a school counselor, and that's one thing we were always told not to do. Yeah. Do And this, I was taught this over at Griffin Memorial, you know, at the Oklahoma County Mental mm -hmm. Health Center. Do not lead. Yeah. Because children have big imaginations yep. and they'll just tell you whatever yeah. you go with. Yep. How did they determine um, that these kids died? You know, Fleek's big point about this is they were playing. You know, they're playing like kids play. Mm -hmm. And he's a big, over 100 pound guy. Yeah. Uh, when he killed Craig Neal, he was bigger. He was 5'8 and something like 145 pounds. Mm hmm. She was strangled. They were both oh, strangled. Okay. Okay. So in Craig's case, there was a rope, and he had the rope around his neck and was swinging him around. Oh, my gosh. So, oh. so he loved little kids. He played with little kids all the time, but there were other, always other people around. In yeah. both of these Adults cases, he was alone. Wow. Now, does he have siblings? Oh, yeah. There's lots of siblings. So there were other, other, there were other children in the home? Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, let's talk about that. So, Fleek has saved his life at this mm -hmm. point. He goes back to uh, state detention, um, and when he gets out, this is important to remember, when he turns 18, they turn him loose. Poof, that's it. There's no safety net. Mm -hmm. There's nothing, no program. We see that a lot. Now, today, it's, it's all changed. It's all different. I mean, they are really... They follow them and... Yeah. Yes. But then there was nothing. You're just 18, you're grown up, and he, he has a hearing before a judge. And the judge said, you know, Wayne, for your sake and other people's, you really should get some uh, some additional, continue, continue your counseling. Mm -hmm. But they never checked in on that. <laughs> well, how's he going to do that? He's yeah, 18, I mean, yeah. he has nobody... He's, what do I go? What do I do? Money. And it costs money. And resources. Who does he know? He doesn't know. 
Mm-mm. That's so, why it's important to provide resources. Well, an 18-year-old's, I, I'm, I know from having my own child, that they don't reach out. If, if I tell her to call someone like OSU, because mm-hmm. that's, you know, call OSU, get your classes. It is like I have told her that the world is on fire and, <laughs> you know, and she's got to run the other way because they just, it's like, it's like an anxiety, mm-hmm. especially 18. You're not going to call a counselor and go, I need you to be my, you know, you yeah. d- there might be some, but it's, I don't know any. Especially if you don't know what questions you're supposed to be no. asking, what you're even there for. Like, what? No. how can you possibly rely on a child, basically? Yeah. To follow up on any of that. Interestingly now, remember this. He's been in getting all this counseling. Psychologists have been all over him for two years, by that, no, five years by that point. He spe- basically spent his whole teen years in detention. And at that hearing, when he was 18 and, and turned loose, uh, they all came in and testified. He's neurotic, but he's not psychotic. Mm-hmm. Wayne is not mentally ill. Okay. So he was never medicated. They never put him on anything. They, they just... probably did in Griffin Memorial. I'm well, sure they did while yeah, he was there. Sure. Yeah. Fleek has saved his life. He's 18. He's been discharged from uh, state custody. And he moves back in with his family, which is not a good place for anybody. Mm. And he is living in Rogers High School District. And they won't let him in. So he calls Fleek and he says, you know, hey, I'm out. And Fleek knew he was out because he'd read about it in the paper. And he says, what are you going to do? And he says, oh, maybe I'll get a GED. And he says, well, why don't you go to high school? He said, well, they won't let me in. Well, Fleek blew his stack. And Fleek went and picked him up and took him to the high school. And they walked in and met with the uh, dean of boys. And Fleek said, I understand that Wayne... Uh, can't be admitted to classes. And, said, and uh, Dean of Boys said, well, we can't take a chance with that sort of thing. And Fleek said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, he has a record. Fleek said, if he has a juvenile rec- record, it is sealed. Boom. He has, I was about to say that. He has no record. A juvenile has no record. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, he didn't want him there because he killed two kids when he was a kid I mean, himself. I understand, but... The legalities of it, yeah. you're not supposed to know about it. It's it's, it's as if it didn't happen. So you so, can't, I mean, legally you can't keep him out of school. Well, you can't, but. <laughs> you can't, but. They have little ways around saying this, we don't have, you know, this, we're full, we're at capacity. Manny was also a school counselor, by you know, the way. <laughs> and they'll find a way to move you somewhere else. Yeah. If they really want to. Yeah. Well, this is late 70s. And uh, Fleek pointed out to the dean, uh, you have a responsibility to every child in this mm-hmm. district to give them an education. Mm-hmm. That includes Wayne. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to do that, I'm going to call the Tulsa World and Uh-oh. KOTV, and we're going to file a lawsuit this morning for $1 million. And when we win, Ooh. not only will your career be over, but Wayne will have a $1 million, and he won't need an education. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, go fleek. So uh, Wayne gets into his classes. The dean stood outside and watched him pass classes and glared at him and warned him every day of his life. And still Wayne persisted. He graduated. Uh, He went to Oklahoma State Tech 
uh, to study. He, you know, they had uh, automotive repair classes mm. at Rogers, and he loved it. So he went to Oklahoma State Tech, drove down to Okmulgee three days a week to take classes, put himself through Oklahoma State Tech. By that time, he had a job at a car shop here uh, doing body work. He, they said he was an artist at wow. body repair. Uh, so he saved up his money. He bought a set of manuals on how to repair almost every car. And then he uh, rented his shop called Choppers. He designed the sign and, and painted it himself. Wow. He happened to be in the bank and talking to a cute little curly-headed woman teller um, and mentioned that he liked working on old Studebakers. And she said, you know, that's funny. I have an old Studebaker. Oh. Well, a match made in heaven. Yeah. Uh, Wayne and Beth started talking about old Studebakers. They ended up marrying and having the baby John. Wow. And he... Uh, so in the course, uh, by the time he was 28, from the time he was 18 um, until he was uh, 23, he had really put his life together. I mean, that sounds like somebody who was trying to be a contributing member of society. Meanwhile, uh, the police had totally blown the investigation into Justin Wiles' case. They never investigated anybody but Wayne because of his history they were sure that he killed Justin Wiles, the 14-year-old neighborhood boy. They never took DNA from any other person. What? Now, I'm going to refer, refer to one of your favorite cases, oh An Innocent Man. Here we go. <laughs> the Innocent Man by John Grisham, mm-hmm. which happened in our hometown of Ada. <laughs> Good old Ada. <laughs> and Hi, Ada. Just uh, to, just for comparison, in that case, they had dozens of videotaped interviews mm-hmm. with, with suspects. Mm-hmm. They had 40, over 40 DNA samples of over 30 people that were all sent to the Oklahoma State Bureau, uh, Crime Bureau, mm-hmm. Bureau of Investigation. In the Justin Wiles murder case, they sent only Wayne's DNA. That's so strange. Nobody to compare it to, except Justin. That's very strange. Just as, you know, this is who's is who's. Because you see, like Ada is so small compared to like the resources that they would have had here versus there. You would think it's like not that's our guy. It looks like let's they just, just not do anything else. Wanted to close it. And the difference in years, even you know, yeah. DNA had. It uh, had progressed, mm-hmm. was it seven years, I believe? It wasn't long. Be- between the Ada case mm-hmm. and Wayne's case in 89, mm-hmm. DNA had was on a fast track. Yeah. People mm-hmm. could tell it was going to be a big deal, so they should have been working with DNA. Yeah. So Tulsa really dropped the ball on that. Well, we've seen cases. I've actually seen cases back to the... 50s and 60s where they were collecting DNA. They had no idea that they were going to be able to yeah. use it. They just collected it. They just collected it. it to collect it. They thought, maybe someday we'll figure out how to use this, but so that's wild. Interesting on that point, there was not one videotape interview in Tulsa. Wow. Oh. This is 1989. That's strange. Yeah. No videotape. Only they did audio cassettes. I mean, that's one thing, but 
That's way better to have video. They have videotape of Ted Bundy. I know. That's what I'm saying. You know, like, so, I mean, you can't have videotape no, like of... The uh, 70s, 60s, 70s. Yeah. That's... Okay. It just... It seems like we're not doing things on purpose is yeah. what it seems to yes. be. Well, a lot of... Co- the police just had tunnel vision. They wanted Wayne off the street. Um, and there were a lot of people that felt like the juvenile court dropped the ball. They should have made him an adult, and put him in prison for life for the two childhood killings. My book spends a lot of time on the trial, Mm -hmm. which I'm not going to do here. Okay, that's fine. But I can Because we want people to read your book. And you can ask about the trial if you want, but it was not good. Um, Fleek offered dozens of objections Mm -hmm. and motions and tried to get things thrown out and was just overruled constantly. He made 12 motions uh to the court in one day all denied wow. so they when you read that it just it just doesn't stack up to be a good carriage of justice the um, one thing i did want to touch on slightly with the trial was that it was mostly just circumstantial evidence it was 100 yeah. percent circumstantial they don't know where justin wiles died right they don't know how he died right there is not one piece of evidence tying Wayne Henry Garrison mm-hmm. to the murder of Justin Wiles. Right. In fact, the trial was held in Tulsa. There's no evidence that he was killed in Tulsa. Right. His body was found in a different county. Right. And they, that was one of the motions. You can't try this in Tulsa. It has to be tried out there. But that was denied. Yeah. Police have been building this case for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so he, Wayne gets arrested and Fleet gets the case. Well, he's got all this 10 years of data to catch up on. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, everybody who knew Wayne well and everybody who was around Wayne at that time is already dead by the mm-hmm. time we have the trial. Of course. So there's not much way to, to build a case. Like and, as in probably his alibis? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all so dead and gone? What we do know is that Wayne and a couple of hangers-on were at Choppers at mm-hmm. the shop. Justin came around looking for work. He wanted to make some money to buy a ticket to go see the new Batman movie. He hung around the shop. That was Monday. He was back on Tuesday. Same guys, same three guys, mm-hmm. and Justin. They went to the store. They got some supplies for the shop. They picked up some Kentucky Fried Chicken, came back and ate it. The three guys never could remember, couldn't, could agree on which day. Justin went with them to get food mm-hmm. and go to the store. And which way day he one of the days he stayed at the shop, and while they went anyway, they came back. Wayne closed the shop about two o'clock. And the one guy left, the other guy left, and saw Justin getting into Wayne's car, and then he pulled away. So that was the last time Justin was seen by those two guys. Mm. Wayne says he took Justin home, did some other things. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows when he died. He right, because he wasn't so he found was, for four days. He was last seen Tuesday afternoon. The head was found Friday. So he was killed between Tuesday afternoon and Thursday night. Here's the thing. This is, this is Wayne's week, okay? Well, nobody knew this at the time. There's a lot of stuff that you can't bring up because nobody knows it except Wayne. Mm-hmm. And you, 
if you're Art Fleek, you don't dare put Wayne on the witness stand. He'd make right. a terrible witness. He has no emotions. Right. And he will just appear to be... Like, or social cues or what he's yeah. supposed to... Yeah. Yeah, he'll be a terrible witness. Yeah. Um, but that week, um, they were having a lot of financial trouble in their marriage, Wayne and mm. Beth. She was unhappy about some other things, and she wanted a divorce. We don't know what's behind all that. Just We just know she wanted a divorce. She was going to go visit her dad in Pennsylvania, take little John with her, think about it, make her final decision about the divorce. Get this. They'd been married at that point for six years, I think. Mm. They had never been apart one night in their marriage. Wow. And Wayne is totally freaked. He begged her. They had a terrible fight, and he just begged her not to go. But the plane tickets were bought, and so she went. So here he is, the first time he's ever been alone uh, since they got married. So he's freaking out. Justin goes missing Tuesday. Okay, one of these days, the police uh, detective van says, would you come downtown and answer questions, which he does. The next day, Thursday, the fire marshal shows up and says, we have a complaint about a, a wiring violation. And At his shop? In the, in the shop, in wow. Choppers. And okay. he sees it over his shoulder. It's an extension cord. And he says, you can't do that. So he writes in a citation and closes the shop. So his wife leaves. He gets questioned in this missing child. The fire marshal shows up and closes his shop. He can't afford to hire an electrician and he can't do any work because the shop is closed that's a lot of bad things a lot of stuff going on in his life and so the police uh, come back to the shop they come back and they take pictures of wayne in the shop and then take him downtown and take some more pictures of him but why why are they taking pictures of him trying to see if he has anything funny you should ask that (laughs) As they're going back through this 10-year-old case, trying to make a case against Wayne, they come across a picture that was taken of his arm, and there are two marks on the inside of his right arm. They're maybe three-eighths of an inch long and like a sloppy equal sign. It's Hmm. two marks. Wayne thought, they asked him, how did you get those marks? Four days... Before Justin went missing, Wayne's brother, Paul, came into the shop and tried to whack him over the head with uh, an entrenching tool, which is a shovel that folds over. It's a military thing. Everybody in the Army used to get one. It has a locking ring, so it can be straight like a shovel or it can be at a 90-degree angle like an axe. Oh, wow. And he had it locked like an axe, and he came in and tried to beat Wayne over the head with it. And Wayne is, the, bro- the brother's left-handed. Wayne was right-handed. So when the brother swung it left-handed, Wayne put up his right hand to block the blows. He said, I assume that's what that is. He had a, a wound in his head from the attack. Wow. This all stemmed from the fact that the brother was doing some work in the shop for him. And Wayne caught him stealing the solvents to sell to... Uh, Huffers, people who smoke, oh sniff fumes, and, and caught him sni- sniffing them himself, and caught him selling weed in the shop. Oh wow! So he, he fired him, and he said, "You'll get paid when I get paid for the work that you didn't finish." Wow! 
So the brother was mad, and he came back. Oh, you know what? Good on him, though, for, even though it's his brother, good on him for firing him. I have a question. Was the brother spending the night, the night his cousin, little cousin, was murdered? (laughs) Here we go. The little girl who was killed? His little cousin. Her name was Dana Dean. Dana Dean. Was there anyone else spending the night, like his siblings, besides him over there? Her older sister. She slept in the same room with her older sister. Okay. Was any of his siblings there? No. Just him? Yeah. Okay. Wayne was staying at their house. uh, I saw where you were going with that. Slept in the living room. The two girls slept in their bedroom, and the parents were in their bedroom. Well, that's actually not where I was going. You don't know where I think you were going. That's not where I was going. Okay. Now, let's get to the... uh, So, he was convicted on 100% circumstantial evidence. And, you know, there is this old thing about, well, it has to be beyond any reasonable doubt. Mm -hmm. That is not the standard anymore. There's a new standard based on an Oklahoma case called Mm -hmm. the Spuler Standard. Y'all know about that. Okay. And Wayne was convicted with that. And the, the judge in this case gave the jury orders that are right in line with that that you know you just have to think that anybody reasonably looking at this would think that he did it yep people the prisons are full of people convicted on circumstantial i mean i know because we have we have no no body um no body convictions here i know that for a fact it's like there's no body there's no not even any blood this person just went missing but this person gets convicted for it and you're like, how the heck did that happen? I want to speak to the two marks on the arm. They decide, The police decided those were put there by Justin's teeth biting his attacker. Oh. What? That was the basis of their case. That was the basis of their arrest warrant, of their extradition. And so they went to find an expert to testify to that. So, to do that, they had to measure Justin's jaw. I know where you're going with this. Justin has been in the ground for 10 years. So, they exhumed Justin, and his teeth fall out. Oh, my God. So, they glue his teeth back in. No, they did not. They take a mold of his teeth. After they glued it in and not know exactly if it's that... And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry, my jaw is literally no. on the floor. This All is right, a... Tulsa, we're getting we're having some issues. And here. then you're going to tell me about it—a odontologist and bite mark evidence, which we all know is just junk science. Do- Doctor Chris. Oh, here we go. Doctor Chris, you probably know Doctor Chris. My God. So he's brought in as the expert. He does, he glues the teeth in. He makes a mold. And what does he do with the mold? He mounts them on a pair of vice grip pliers. And then he has a lady from his office come in, and he bites her with the teeth, the mold of the teeth in the vice grip pliers, and takes photographs of that, and compares that to the photographs of Wayne's arm taken 10 years earlier. Did they even do that on the same part of the body? Uh, yeah. Okay, on no, the, number on the one, forearm. that doesn't even here. matter, because compared to, I'm sure, who was probably a small woman, Compared to him, which was a very large man, it would not matter. You would have to literally have someone who is exactly his same stature, build, muscle density, thick uh, skin thickness. Like, it 
it's just junk. I'm yeah. sorry. It's it just is, junk. It's absolutely <laughs> junk science and has been widely discredited since then. Even then it was discredited. And Fleek had a great expert was sick and didn't get a te- chance to testify. In the middle of the trial, when he testified, he was it was all done. It was the last day of the trial, and he was the only witness. So that was sad. Of course. That's how, yeah, that's how it goes. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to jump into the appeal right okay. now. The appeals attorneys really did worked hard on this. They interviewed a lot of people mm-hmm. and got some leads which I'll, I'll touch on. But the big thing they did is they brought in a psychologist. And this psychologist spent something like 13 hours with Wayne. Oh, wow. It was really good. Then he also interviewed some of the same people who had worked with him mm-hmm. at a state hospital and had all their reports that they had written. Oh, wow. And the thing is that Wayne would tell stories about his childhood and people tended not to believe him, not because he was lying, but because it was so outlandish. Really? And people would just, it was hard to believe. But he told the same stories. The exact in same way 1971, every time. 1971, 73, and 89, and 99. The he, truth doesn't change. He told the same stories. Yeah. So that means he was telling the truth. That's exactly what this psychologist says. He is telling the truth. This really happened. Yeah. And I'm going to broad brush this, and you can ask questions if you want, but okay. I'm going to give you his mother was uh, an alcoholic and drug addict. And yeah. was probably doing drugs and, al- and alcohol when she was pregnant with him. Probably. And led to some little bit of fetal alcohol syndrome. I'll bet that's right. Absolutely. Um, now, when he was, uh, um, she tried to give herself an abortion multiple times and failed. Oh, my goodness. She, When he was born, she tried to suffocate him uh, with her hand, and he would... She would hold his mouth and nose closed until he stopped breathing. And then she would be mad when he woke up and would slap him. So he probably had some traumatic brain injury. Oh yeah, he's, th- that would explain a lot of his apathy. A lot, a lot. Because you would have Depending some, on how many times she did this to well, him. Well, you'd have some oxygen, you know, cut off. Absolutely. Yeah, and so especially if she he had a little bit of fetal alcohol syndrome, that causes apathy. Ooh. Oh, oh apathy. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, he wasn't three. He was 18 months old, I believe. Her mother lives here in town. Minnie Sperry uh-huh. is her mother. She takes him over to her mother's house, and Minnie Sperry is sitting there holding the baby on the couch, and she says, you love him, don't you? Minnie Sperry says, I sure do. And she says, good, you keep him, because if you don't, I'm going to drown him. <gasps> and she walked out. So Minnie Sperry raised Wayne. Now, many had a lot, several children, and apparently some of them had fine lives, grew up, and, and had families and so forth. She had two sons that never left. One of them was brain damaged in a car wreck oh. really badly, never could function as an adult. The other one was diagnosed psychotic, uh, schizophrenic, before he got out of high school. Oh. Wow. So both of them were committed to state institutions off and on over the years, and then they would come back uh, to live with her. And the she would have to the one who was brain damaged. She 
would have to remind him to uh, eat and oh. bathe and that kind of thing. The other one uh, would fly into terrible fits of temper. And she was no pushover, so she would fight right back at him, and the family said that she usually won. So she was Wayne's mom's mother? Yes. Okay. Those are her siblings, his mother's siblings. Yeah. So his mother abandoned him. Wayne had an older brother, Paul. There was a middle brother, Johnny Ray, and a sister along in there, and I know very little about the sister, and I've kind of left her out of my Mm -hmm. narrative. Same mom? Same mom. Different dad or same dad? Uh, those three children had the same dad. Okay. Wayne uh, was a bastard and was told. That's why she didn't in, want him. Uh, okay. His entold, oh. entire life that he was a bastard child. So that's uh-huh. why she didn't. Okay. And nobody loves him and nobody wants him. That's so sad. And Paul, the brother Paul is the one who supposedly attacked him. That right. is correct. Okay. The older brother. Okay. Paul, I just I saw that in the appeal. Paul's nine years older. Oh, that's oh, wow. quite a difference. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Johnny Ray, the middle brother, was very close to Wayne. Uh, fed him and played with him. He was also afraid of Paul. They were both afraid of Paul and his friends, who were very rough. At some point, the psychotic schizophrenic uncle at Minnie's house started raping Wayne. We think this was around the age of four. Paul almost had to see this at some point or be aware of it at same point. At some point, uh, Paul had a violent homosexual relationship with at least one of his friends, and they raped Wayne at some point, so starting brother. around the same age. They did things like putting uh, airplane glue in a paper bag and putting it over his head and taping it around his neck. Johnny what? Ray West, uh, rescued him from that. They tied, they duct taped him, duct taped him, and put him in a laundry hamper. And he kicked his way out of it and uh, cut himself badly, badly, and was put in the hospital because of loss of blood. They threw him off a railroad trestle, and he had a number of broken bones and internal injuries oh that put gosh. him in the hospital. It's a wonder he didn't die from he, any of that. He could have died many times. Um, his mother encouraged him to poke his playmate's eyes out with a stick. What? And hit chickens and dogs and cats. And Did he still see his mom some? Did she, yeah. she would come over? Yeah, and- interestingly, uh, at one point she left the family and the stepfather at that point dumped the three chosen kids in with Minnie. Mm. Oh, wow. Another time, they all... So just nothing was ever stable. Uh, nothing stable. Ever. Everything changed. Minnie Sperry never knew how many people were going to be living in her house. It was a two-bedroom house with a basement with a mattress on the floor. Oh, my gosh. The, uh, at one point, they all moved in with Minnie. So there were Minnie, the two uncles, Wayne... Uh, three children and the mother and stepfather, all of them in this two-bedroom house with a basement. Absolutely no routine. Absolutely terrified of everyone in your life that you're supposed to trust. And and that's a, there's a good good chance that that's where he stopped developing because of all the trauma, that mindset, and that's caused from trauma. I mean, you yeah. stay in that because you can't cope any other way. And you can absolutely see where. Now, when he is playing with other children, he has never been played with. 
Right. He's only ever been attacked. Or he's been played with extremely inappropriately. Everybody in the family was rough. And that's normal behavior to him. Yeah. He didn't yeah. know how to play board games, I mean, because fun games, ball games, anything like that. Everything was rough. I even tell my kid he's only two, but he whacks the cat. And I'm like, no, 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 be easy. And I'll show him how to do it. It sounds mm-hmm. like no one ever said the word easy to him or that yeah. will hurt or anything like that. Well, they taught him that violence was yes. a normal. normal. And that's what you did. And, and, and he probably thought that, you know, people would overwhelm him with violence. And so that's kind of how you kept your stance in the family. Yeah. Um, because if you weren't violent, then you were not, you couldn't survive. Yeah, you, you really have an understanding of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Let me tell you this. When he was nine years old, he was almost saved. The principal at the school, the thing that did it was he had art skill. And the principal was uh, impressed that he did such tremendous artwork. But he had no friends, no activities, Mm -hmm. didn't relate to teachers or kids, anybody well. And he asked the counselor to take a look at him. So guess what the counselor did? Asked Minnie Sperry to come in. Uh Uh-oh. She didn't look at at Wayne at all, she looked at Minnie Sperry, and Minnie Sperry was pissed. She was really mad because she had to come in. Uh, of course, inconvenience. She said there's nothing wrong with him. Has he ever been in the hospital? No. Is there any violence in the home? No. <laughs> any abuse in the home? No. He's wow. fine. And that was the end of it. Uh, well, and that was the counselor's first mistake, because yeah. if you have any thoughts that it could be the parents, by law, you don't have to. You do not have to tell the parents. Yeah. You can seek help for them if you feel like they're in danger of their family home. And you do not have to, you don't have to call the parents. I wonder if that was the same, though. It Back then, who knows? In the 70s. I don't know. I mean, it, everything was wild in the 70s. It was. There's um, a fella who went to school with Art Fleek and I who happened to be an administrator in the juvenile system oh. at the same time. Ted Hanner, and Ted Hanner told me that all those rules were in effect. Mm -hmm. If a social worker saw a gun in a home, for Mm -hmm. example, or a person who could be a a bad influence on that child or a danger to that child, the counselor could remove that child immediately Mm -hmm. or tell that or order that person out of the home immediately. Mm -hmm. And he said it just didn't happen back then. So Some, that was in effect, but no one did it. Right. No one practiced wow. it. Yeah. And well, that's good to know. Yeah. Well, but. And that's lack of training for our counselors, you know. And back then, they, and even a lot of times now, there's they have education degrees. They don't have counseling degrees. Mm. And so you, you, you see a difference in that because they don't really know where those boundaries and perimeters that they need to really study are. And they need to know where that boundary is, where they should not contact the you know, the family, mm-hmm. and they need to protect that child. Yeah. Um, because if you're contacting the parent that did this to the child, yeah. you know. Well, now now they're just going to go home and beat the crap out of them yeah, for, for giving them up, you know. There's probably a lack of, I'm sure, a lack of training there. Okay, here's another thing. While Wayne was in det- state detention, he's this is while he's in state detention for the killing of Dana Dean and before Craig Neal has been killed. 
he's going home for these visits. Um, his mother does not go to pick him up for the home visit. She sends brother Paul to get him. At oh. this point, Wayne is 12 and Paul is 20 or 21. Oh my gosh, by that point, Paul has already been to Vietnam. Oh, wow. Whoa. And was, wow. was blown off a tank, had PTSD, <sighs> had injuries, wow. and, and basically had been doing a series of drugs ever since then. Which caused him probably to be further violent. Oh, yeah. yeah. Even more violent. So, Especially if you are just coming back from something where that was normal. Violence is normal for the last three, four years of your life, however long you were over there. Yeah. 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 So um, they have a Volkswagen Beetle. They drive that over there, which, by the way, happens to be the same car that jo- uh, Art Fleet drives. Uh. Beetles were really popular in the 70s. I have a Volkswagen. I love my Volkswagen. There you go. Okay, so um, uh, Brother Paul is about 20, I guess, and Wayne is 12, 21 and 12. Um, and Minnie Sperry gets in the back seat of the Volkswagen because Wayne can't get back there. And they go to Oklahoma City, they pick him up and bring him back. While he was in detention, while Wayne was in state detention, the middle brother, Johnny Ray, died. Oh. And nobody from the family came to told him to tell him or visit him or anything. Just somebody at the state hospital came and told him, Oh. Your brother's dead. The How only cold. one the only one that he was close to. Yeah, the one he was close to, the wow. one who protected him from Paul, rescued him from the laundry hamper oh. and How did he pass? Well, while they're driving home, Paul tells him, he says, guess what, man? They found Johnny Ray's bones in this burned-out house. He had already been dead for months. There's nothing left of him but his bones. So he's telling him this while they're driving. He takes him to the house to show him where it is. It was out on 11th Street in an abandoned house. Backing up to when that body was found, Johnny Ray had been missing from the house for a couple of months, and nobody missed him. Nobody cared. You know, the mother didn't care. Nobody cared, except Minnie Sperry, and Minnie Sperry kept trying to get Paul to take her to look for Johnny Ray. His car was missing, and Paul wouldn't take her, but um, after he'd been missing for, I believe it was four months, a call came in to police, an anonymous call. You're killing me with the anonymous calls. Came into the police and said, there's a burned out house. There's a skeleton in the closet. It's a kid who died of a drug overdose. Well, how do they know that? Who Paul, is this? They listen. know this because of Paul. Because Paul is the one who's calling I know, that's what this. I'm saying. Like, Paul, come on, Paul. Come on, Paul. Okay. It's ridiculous. So there are three anonymous calls. There's only one person who would have known the information connected to all three of those. Now, there could have been three different people, mm-hmm. but there's one person who knows about all of them. About all three of them, and that's Paul. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about the alternative killers? Yes. He admitted putting them under the house. Okay. And he didn't admit to killing them. He admitted to playing with them. See, okay. that's And he says, they were, you know, he wasn't breathing. She wasn't breathing. He didn't move. She didn't move. So he put them under the house because he knew he'd done something bad. Okay. But this, but but with this other little boy that was fourteen, that's a completely different mo. Completely, completely different. different. He doesn't fit the mode of a serial killer. 
No. Not, and this fits no. the mode of a serial killer. Yeah. This, well, this little boy. Now, I will say, I, I will say that he does not fit. Uh, Wayne Henry Garrison does not fit this killing to no. me. A hedonistic. Well, Sat- it's just completely different. Satanist fits that killing. It's just, just completely saying. different. Oh, George Kent Wallace, uh-huh. he lived in Fort Smith. He mm-hmm. w- was accused of some murders in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. North Carolina or South? North Carolina. And moved to Fort Smith mm-hmm. and was suspected in murders there. Mm-hmm. They looked at him for Justin's case. I'm just saying, his M.O., because he would lure children. Um, he had two confirmed kills, a 14-year-old and a 15-year-old, and he would lure them in by claiming, just finding a random teenage boy, claiming that he was a police officer and they did something wrong and he's going to put them under arrest, put them in his car, drive them out to bodies of water. Dun-dun-dun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they all involve bodies of water. Mm-hmm. And kill them. And he did not kill them the same way every time. The luring, the bodies of water, the stuff like that, that's what I think of this MO would fit better. But a lot of people are probably going to say he did that because his life was spiraling out of control and that was his... I feel like at that point he probably would have in this, this... I don't know, you're the psychologist here. But I feel like he probably would have considered... Uh, suicide before he would have done something like that at that point in his life. He had considered suicide before. When he was in high school, he mm. went to pick up, he, he had never had a date in his life, and everybody was talking about the prom, and he got the nerve to ask a girl to the prom. And she said yes. And he went to pick her up. Her dad answers the door with a gun in his hand mm. and said, my daughter's not going anywhere with you. So he went out to Keystone Lake, thought about killing himself, and instead he called Fleek about 3 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And Art Fleek saved his life for the second time, really. See, I'm just saying, like at that point... There's another thing that shows that he was rehabilitated. And I I didn't mention this, but I'll, I'll just mention it briefly. While in between, while they're living in North Carolina, Mm -hmm. there was a neighbor boy who ran away from home, and Wayne had been friends with him. He loved children. He was friends with kids. He was never a pedophile, never accused of being a pedophile. Michael Jackson mentality. A Michael Jackson kind of, yes, exactly. He Mm -hmm. just loved, because his childhood was stolen from him. Right. And so he loved being around kids. And this neighbor boy, considered him a friend, came to him, and nobody knew where the boy was except Wayne. If Wayne and his, the wife, the boy was at school, the wife was at work, Wayne was alone with this kid. If he wanted to kill a kid, mm-hmm. there was Perfect a little 13-year-old boy right there. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, too, is that about the two children, that's another mentality that I don't see in a lot of murderers, serial killers, uh, especially serial killers. If they kill children when they're a child, a lot of times... Ted Bundy excluded. A lot of times you'll see that the mentality of their victim also ages with them. Well, yeah. The, and again, the BTK killer is yeah. a perfect example of that. When he came back to kill his last victim, she was a lot older because he had gotten a lot older. Right. And so to me, if 
he were to kill someone later at this point in his life, it would probably be someone around the same age as him. Well, it's it's all about who you feel like you can control. Right. And if you're getting older and you're not on your game anymore, you're mm-hmm. not going to feel like you can control someone that's young and healthy like you, you could in the mm-hmm. past. I don't know if we're going to get to this or not, but <clears throat> I did read in the appeal um, a little part in there that said that this body, they described it as being dismembered. Uh, and they described the blade and that it was how they described was precise. Surgical precision. Surgical precision. And that part is the part where I was like, okay, hold on a second. Because we're talking about a kid that never would have even, I mean, even for like first response, never had anything to do with any of that. So how would he all of a sudden know how to surgically dismember a body? Let's talk about alternative killers. Okay. Now, you have to understand that in the trial, Art Fleek can't develop all this. He, 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 he doesn't have time. He's got to get ready for trial. Mm-hmm. So he can't investigate all these people and get witnesses and get stories and find out who really looks guilty and who doesn't. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to give you a list here. The two guys that hung out hung out at the shop they were there the afternoon that, mm-hmm. that justin disappeared which by the way i just want to throw out their stories changed their over sto- the years well that's part of the deal <laughs> 10 years went by mm-hmm. and as i i described these guys in the book these are guys who didn't have regular jobs they mm-hmm. picked up odd jobs um he didn't have a job at all were the they one- drifters we bring not his real name. Mm-hmm. Webring was from Missouri and was here in town, 18 years old, didn't have a job. He stayed part of the time with a girlfriend uh, named Charlotte and part of the time with a man named Ray, who he described to police as his foster father. Okay. Go figure. The other guy was Larson, not his real name. Mm-hmm. Larson was, depending on who he was talking to, he was either a butcher working at this grocery store or telling police, oh, I'm just studying to a but- be a butcher. I'm not oh, really there wow. yet. Let's did, look into him did immediately. He, did he own a big set of professional knives? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Come on. The FBI was in this case, you know, and they identified him as a, a person of interest. Mm-hmm. And they specifically yes. told mm-hmm. uh, Tulsa police to work at him, look at him. One of the things that police operated on was that um, they think that the killer had help. It was not a one-person job. Mm-hmm. And number two, uh, the body was moved in a pickup truck They because of the cleanup. Well, yeah, right. there would be blood in a car. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a lot easier to clean up in a pickup truck. Well, and if you're a butcher, you would know. You put it in the back of your truck and spray that down, move on with your life. Larson's father had a pickup truck. Wayne, let's talk about Wayne's automobiles. He has a a garage where he works on cars. His car is a 1964 Chevrolet, white, white interior, pristine, fully restored cherry, like it came out of the factory, lowered, yeah. But otherwise, just like it came out of the Because he's a car guy. Car guy. He's yeah. not going to put blood in his he car. He is not going to put... No. Exactly. Furthermore, police no. searched it. 
Police found one thumbprint of Justin on the window inside. But we knew that he hung out with them. Everybody knew he rode in the car. Right. That's the only car that he had running at the time. Okay, his wife had a different car. Mm -hmm. Now, let's move on down the list. Justin had a stepbrother. Justin's stepbrother was 16, already had a drug record, and didn't have a job, and was sometimes at the house and sometimes not. Mm. So he was never investigated. Should have been. There was a guy who lived in the outsider's house named Paul Priest. Paul Priest is still living. He's on the streets of Tulsa. Has had many uh, restraining orders against him, a lot of domestic assaults. And he lived in the outsiders at that time. And he operated a little garage, uh, a little car repair business, unlicensed in the garage behind his house, which was almost exactly across the street from Chopper's. So if, you know, a kid was looking for work, wouldn't he just walk across the street? He definitely knew Justin. Yeah. There was another guy in the neighborhood named Jerry Koss, K-A-A-S-E. Jerry was a, a druggie, a male prostitute. And um, had been to jail. He was arrested for theft, which was a violation of his parole in another county. So he was sent back to prison. Police never fully investigated. Now, so there's like a laundry list it of is a, people. It is a laundry list. And there's even more because don't mean to victim blame. No, the cops never looked at Justin as a child at risk, Mm -hmm. and he was a child at risk. Oh, absolutely. I was actually going to ask Manny to talk about the victimology of it, because when you're out there on the streets hustling for money, like, that's just part of it. You are now living an at-risk lifestyle. I And that's not, you're not victim-blaming at all, because there's a difference between saying, this is your fault, this happened because you were doing this. No matter where you are, what you're doing, it it is never your fault. You could be running naked in downtown Dallas, and it is not your fault yeah. if someone approaches you. Mm-hmm. But we do. There are things that we can that we put ourselves at risk for. Yeah. You know, I, I tell not being aware of your surroundings, not being aware of your surroundings. You know, going places at night. You know, you shouldn't go. Mm-hmm. I mean, just things like that. I mean, we have responsibility to protect our own bodies and when you're young like that yeah you're not going to pretty probably fully be aware and if you're not taught and you don't come from you know an ethical family or community that shows you how to be safe yeah and lifts lifts up your safety you're not probably going to practice that you know yeah it okay this is weird it reminds me of like it's like a sixth sense You do have to be taught it, but it's like, okay, you watch a scary movie, right? You don't know it's a scary movie yet, but then they show the big haunted house and it's like nighttime and there's fog coming up from the ground and some guy goes to this other guy, let's go check that out. Okay, somewhere in you, 
someone has instilled the fear <laughs> that that's not a good idea. <laughs> well, it's our own defense mechanism. And, and the ones ha- who die in the movie are the ones who go into the house. Well, anyway, we have yeah. it regardless. We have our defense mechanism regardless of who's told us what. Mm-hmm. We make a lot of our serotonin in our gut. Mm-hmm. So when you say that gut feeling, mm-hmm. you do have that. That Literal. is scientifically correct. Yeah. And so we will have a feeling no matter what's, who's told us what, that, okay, something's off about this. Now, if you don't have the knowledge to follow what to do to get to safety, you're probably going to ignore it. Right. And we see a lot now, um, they say, you know, the statistics now for abductions like this of children is like 75% domestic. They probably know that person. In the 70s. Or came across them at uh, some point. In the 70s and 80s and and even the 50s and 60s, Stranger Danger was a real thing. Oh, the Stranger Danger video Mm -hmm. is the best video ever made. And if no one's watched it, you should completely watch it. I made my daughter watch it every time. (laughs) Well, and it's because predators, they knew that no one was teaching their kids this stuff. It's old, but John Walsh made it. I Mm -hmm. reckon, it's just, I recommend it. It's just a great So, like, if this case had happened, and this year, I'd be like, well, you need to be looking at the family. Yeah. They definitely ne- did not yeah. look at the family enough. Now, at the trial, Fleek told his co-counsel, he says, we don't have time or the resources to develop all these people. Mm-hmm. The best suspect is the stepfather, whose name was Billy Don Douglas, not his real name. <laughs> but he is still living. He is still on Facebook. And posting wow. uh, angry, terrible stuff on Facebook. Um, he's had a lot of arrests. He has a tremendous, he's lived with and been married to a series of women, uh, had restraining orders from several women. That tells me a lot. Uh, kicked one wife out of a moving vehicle, hated Justin. Uh, and beat him regularly, and all the kids in the neighborhood knew it. So he didn't want to be home. He didn't want to be home. Yeah. Uh, He would, his routine, Justin's routine, this was during the summer, of course, school's out. Uh, His routine was he would leave the house about 11. Uh, Nobody was home except the sister. And, oh, there was a baby. I forgot to mention that. So we've got the, the sister, the baby. Uh, a lot of stress, a yeah. lot of family dynamics there. Yeah. Yeah. The, the stepbrother may or may not be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mother goes to work every day. She has a real job. Um, he works. She's the breadwinner? Yeah. 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 The stepfather uh, takes jobs when he can get them and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, he works in bars and things. Sold dope out of the house. He was a, a weed dealer. Jerry, uh, Paul Priest, the guy, oh, Jerry Priest, I have that Paul Priest, it's Jerry Priest, I'm sorry. Uh, Jerry Priest uh, was one of the guys who told cops that he bought weed from Wayne's stepfather. Oh, so they knew each other. They knew each other. And Jerry had a garage. Yeah. Hmm. Just saying. Bum, bum, bum. Dun, <laughs> now, Justin was a paint sniffer. And paint sniffers sniff glue and anything they can get a hold of, all mm-hmm. kinds of... Uh, uh, huffing. Yeah, huffing. Mm-hmm. He was a huffing. And mm-hmm. his mother and stepsister both 
when they told police about it, they laughed about it. They thought it was, you know, a teenage thing. You know, at that time, it was legal for kids to buy spray paint. Mm -hmm. So they Mm -hmm. would do that. Huffing spray paint can kill you. Mm -hmm. Uh, It can can be fatal. So no one knows. Huffing anything can be fatal. Yeah. Yeah. So no one knows how Justin died. He could have died from breathing paint fumes. Mm -hmm. He was on the street with known dopers, and we know that he was not in the fra- afraid to jump in the car with adults and not know where they were going, not tell anybody where he was going with them. Anybody could have offered him any kind of drugs at any point that might have resulted in an overdose. I know they didn't have a full body, but did they do any sort of autopsy at all? Like talk screen? There was no toxicology, toxicology report, and they did not even know the contents of his stomach. What? How is that? Oh, my God. The autopsy, Justin's autopsy, was done by, uh, I've forgotten this woman's title, but it was not the medical examiner. And at the trial, the medical examiner testified, not the woman who did the autopsy. What? How is that? That shouldn't even be legal. That should have been thrown out. How is that even possible? But as you know, they've recovered toxins out of mummies oh, yeah. and all kinds of oh, yeah. ancient yeah. the skin tissue would hold well, that yeah i think if he was killed and you know didn't die i think it, it was sexually motivated could very well have been we know that several of these people in the neighborhood this jerry Koss, mm-hmm. was a, a, a male prostitute mm-hmm. he lived in a house with another man and woman where they she was a known prostitute and so forth let me tell you something else. Hmm. We bring one of the two hangers-on at the uh, shop that day that Justin disappeared. Mm-hmm. We bring left town the next day. Justin disappeared Tuesday afternoon. We bring, jumped on his motorcycle and went to visit his parents in Missouri on, thir- on Wednesday. He came back, said hello to his girlfriend, said, I'm leaving. He and Ray went to California the next day. Yeah, that's very suspicious. How long were they in California? A long time. Oh. And they went to the home of Webring's cousins there. When police tracked him down, he was already gone. Uh, And when he, they asked him to call in. A few days later, he called in would not tell him where he was or give him a phone number where he was. Wow. He was later interviewed by a, a policeman in California who said he didn't think he was being truthful. Uh, in two different interviews, he said, I left town because that kid was missing and they were looking at Wayne for it. And in the other interview, he said, uh, oh, it was just a coincidence. It had nothing to do with, I just happened to leave town at that time. Now, yeah, that's suspicious. Guess who, who else left town the same day, Thursday, the same day that we bring left for California? Brother Paul. Mm-hmm. Did he did he know we bring? One of the most interesting things, that's really good that you ask that. <laughs> Police knew we bring as a hanger-on at the shop when this first happened. Mm-hmm. Okay, ten years later, when they revisit the case, they interview we bring again. And he admits that he knew Paul before he knew Wayne. Oh, wow. Webring's girlfriend, Charlotte, is the daughter of 
Paul's girlfriend, Sandy, who was later his wife. So we bring new Paul. He said, I've got this friend I've got a, who has a car that I need some work. I can do this on this guy's car, but I need a place to work and I need some tools. And he says, oh, my brother has this little shop. He'll let you work. So Webring goes over and says, Paul said that you might let me do this. And so that's how all that triangle worked out is that Paul introduced Webring to Wayne. As a journalist, do you ever get tired of doing the job for cops? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. It's, I feel like we we it happens a lot. We've been here for a couple of hours, and uh, we got some pretty good leads. That okay, I let feel me like. let me wrap up a couple of things, <laughs> if I may. A couple of little things. Um, the Wayne, way Wayne tells it is that his brother Paul framed him, killed Justin, framed him for the murder. That's what he says. Mm-hmm. Wow, it, I believe it. Yeah, if, I kind of do too. If you want to frame Wayne for this murder. What's the best place to put that body? At his shop? No, that's stupid. Wayne, Wayne's not going to do that. At his mm-hmm. house? Yeah. Under his house? Mm-hmm. No. You put it at the lake where Wayne likes to go fishing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, the body was not hidden. It could have been hidden anywhere. It could have been right. buried. It could have been weighted down in we the bottom of the lake. We know that he likes to hide bodies. He, we, we know that as a fact of his because psychology. Because he put the body under the house. Ha- twice. Yeah. Not just once, but twice. But this I mean, body was put in three places. Right. The head mm-hmm. was attached to a rock, but it was on a six-foot string in five-foot of water. So it wouldn't sink. But he wanted to make sure it didn't the, move. The fingers were sticking out of the dirt. It was in the middle of a circle That's of rocks. Ominous. With a log laying out across it and another stick stuck in the ground. So somebody wanted the arm They wanted it found. found. The torso was under a blue tarp held down with rocks. And I'm going to guess that the genitals and legs were kept as a memento. Souvenir. Probably, yeah. Funny you should mention that. Paul was fascinated that in Vietnam he had seen people collecting uh, genitals from dead soldiers, drying them and varnishing them and making necklaces out of them. He was fascinated with that and talked about it a lot. Gosh. This is the last thing, and then I'm going to sh- shut up here. <laughs> <laughs> We're enjoying We got this. all the time in the world. This is the last thing that, that I got from uh, Wayne. Oh, I've, oh, I left out one other thing. I've got, I, have, I have two other things, then oh, I'll shut it's up. Fine. I can't wait to read this book. I I'm know. so excited about okay, reading so this Okay, so while book. Justin's out running around the street with all these drug dealers, uh, the day after he disappeared... There were, um, there's a little restaurant out by Lake, Lake Bixoma. And everybody in there on Tuesday afternoon at exactly the time when Justin was supposed to be disappearing, people saw a boy that they thought was probably 11 or 12 years old, had long hair, and uh, was hard of hearing. Justin was hard of hearing. And he was with a man who had long hair in the back, but balding in the front, Hmm. and had a little mustache. That's a perfect description of either his stepfather or Brother Paul. Wow. And police never found the mystery man at the cafe. Interesting. Although everybody in there saw him. And then, of course, 10 years later, everybody who was in there was dead, except for Danny Beck. 
Danny yeah. Beck was a local TV personality. And he, I was going to say, I remember that name. Yeah, yeah, I know that whole, I was like, that name sounds familiar. Okay. Now, the other thing I was going to say, and this is the last I have from Wayne. Paul confessed to two people that he killed Justin Wiles. Paul and Wayne's sister had a son named Jeffrey, and Jeffrey was a bicycle rider. He liked to ride over to Uncle Paul's house and get stoned. Paul liked to pick up teenage boys in his red Mustang and bring them to his house uh, and get them stoned and have sex with them. Wow. And one of the days, one of the kids he picked up was Justin. And we know that he knows Justin because Wayne sell, caught him selling weed to Justin in the in Choppers. Uh, although he told police he had never met Justin, didn't have any idea who he was. But after all this came down, he told Jeffrey that he got Justin up there. And, of course, Paul is buzzing and telling this story to Jeffrey. And he says the sex just got out of hand and he killed him. So Jeffrey, by that time, is terrified. Just Jeffrey runs off. And who does Jeffrey tell? Minnie Sperry. He rides his bike to Minnie Sperry's house, tells her... She calls Paul, tells him to get over there. Paul comes over, and he tell, he confesses the same thing to her. And she said, you go tell the police. You have to turn yourself in to police. Okay, what happens in the next 10 years is, number one, Jeffrey gets hit on his bicycle and killed. So he, does, he can, can't testify against Paul. He's dead. Minnie Sperry then gives Paul a deadline. If you don't tell, turn yourself in to police by the new year, I'm going to turn you in. Wayne is convinced that Paul threw her down in a violent fit and broke her hip. She died of a broken hip on December 31st. We're talking about a lot of other people in this mix that have died too. Now, while the appeals attorneys in 2001 are going around interviewing everybody, trying to do a little investigation, Sandy, Paul's wife, won't talk to him very much. They give her an interview. And uh, Paul refused to talk to him, but he knows that the appeals attorneys are going around and talking to everybody. He knows they're closing in on him. Paul kills himself in 2002 with a pistol six months after Wayne's conviction. I have no, literally no words. It sounds like he found the perfect alibi for his sexual hedonistic rage and thought oh what a better way to get rid of Wayne because he oh you know he was supposed to do all what what this what he was mad at him about and hit him about was the money paying him so I'll just pin this on him so and he had Weebring clean it up my question I haven't I and or Larson and or Larson yeah I have a question because we know that they got into a physical fight mm-hmm. because of the mm-hmm. okay, the um, there was no marks question about the entrenching tool attack. Paul admitted that right. That okay, that. so my question is, how long did that take place before Justin went missing? I, I'm going to get the days mixed up here. I can't remember the exact number of days, but um, I, believe, I mean, because he still had the marks I, right when they came by and took pictures of him. It was like a, it was about a week. And during that week, he was, Paul was telling everybody that he was going to get Wayne. He was still furious about it. He said he was going to get him. 
because Pil- Wayne filed charges. He filed assault charges well, there against you go. him. So he, he um, carried the entrenching tool with him. He had a sheath knife on his belt, told Minnie Sperry, we bring Larson, told everybody he saw, I'm going to get my brother for you. this. And Wayne took out a restraining order. And the next day, that was Monday, Wayne took out a restraining order that was served. Wow. And the next day, Justin disappeared. I'm telling you, yeah, man. and that—that's not a coincidence. No, that—that's your—that's his motive right there. I'm telling you. Say, even though he said it went too far and he killed him, I want to say I think it was very planned. I'm telling, I, for sure, he's the one that called. Every time, I'm telling you, he's the one that called. Um, a lot of people like this part, uh, so I'm going to read this part from the appeal. Um, this is just the where they found the placement of the body parts um, because it's a little gruesome. However, uh, as you said, the rest of it wasn't found. So, you know, just be careful when you're out at Lake Bixoma. <laughs> um, I'm just warning you now. It's, it is very dense. I've never actually been to Lake Bixoma. Uh, I did look it up, though, and it's very, around it is very wooded and very dense. Weird. And mm-hmm. and also, there's no telling what could have happened to those other parts. Could be there somewhere. Maybe he was expecting them all to be found. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Who knows? Um, but straight from the appeal. So, after being reported missing from his home June 20th, 1989, four days later... The right hand and arm are discovered in the mud on the bank of Lake Bixhoma, and his dismembered torso was discovered two-tenths of a mile away from that portion of the body. Uh, Then they find his head, his arms, his legs, and and his genitalia had been dissected post-mortem. Again, they describe it as precise cuts, through the soft tissue by a sharp instrument. Um, his head was eventually found floating in the water with a rock tied to his jaw with a wire. But also, I feel like this sounds planned to me. No, it sounds, the whole thing sounds planned. The whole thing sounds planned. But what the one thing that I'm trying to wrap my head around is where was the body dissected? Here's the lake. Yes, and that's what I want to know as well. Because I don't think they would have drove back to the neighborhood or the area and done that and then drove all the way back. I don't think that would be quite the... No, I mean, I feel like it would have been done in or around the same location. But if someone saw them... But look how, like, this is so dense. Look how dense this is. Yeah, but I don't buy that, that they're going to do that out in the truck. Wayne was a fisherman, but he was not an outdoorsman. He, I, I can't imagine him tromping off into the woods no. with those parts. But the, the, even if somebody, Wayne or anybody else, did that, those three pieces of the body were meant to be found. Yes, yes. I I agree. mean, there were people all over that lake during the yeah. summer. There were picnic tables and fishermen. Wayne and Paul have an uncle who lives... In Bixby, or I think he lived in Bixby, and he owned a, a red Mustang, and that was one of the vehicles that came up 
that was seen on the day around the lake at about the time of the disappearance. But the police uh, checked out the Mustang and didn't find anything. The stepbrother, Justin's stepbrother, who had the drug record at the age of 16, um, was very close to a grandfather who lived in Bixby. And he had a some vehicle that was investigated also. I want to say whoever did this was close, did this, dissected the body around that area. The testing that was done on the dirt and um, the samples that were submitted to the State Crown Bureau determined that Justin was not killed where it was found. But I think it was somewhere yeah. near there. I just... It could have been. It could have been half I a mile down the road. Just don't see the them putting these body parts in their car and the truck or whatever, and just taking off down. I just, you you could get pulled over. Yeah. I just don't see that. I see it being near there. Yeah. Well, take the Okmulgee thing for instance. That that guy last year who killed those four guys, mm-hmm. dismembered them, dumped them in the river. People yeah. are like, "How did he not get pulled over?" Um, you know, in transit, and it's like, "Well, if you go and look, which is another reason why we love to go and look at crime scenes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you go and look, the place that it happened is like less than a quarter of a mile from the river where it yeah. was found. It's like right there. It's going to be... He could have walked, really. I mean, it would have... He wouldn't have because of hauling all of the parts, but he could have. If you have a dismembered body and you're hauling it a long haul, you're going to have leaking. Who else would know that Wayne removed the genitals from Craig Neal? And so would do the same thing to Justin as part of the way to frame him. Paul. 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 Is the only person who knew that whole thread. Mm -hmm. And who knows, maybe the person who did this was also sexually abused. Oh, I'm sure. So. You know, if Wayne was, then Paul probably was. Usually, you know, that's a repeat Mm -hmm. offender, victim offender overlap for sure there. There's a victim offender overlap. I never thought about that. If that uncle Mm -hmm. who who abused Wayne, he may have abused Paul when he was a little boy too. Probably. I'm sure, yeah. I have have no doubt that Paul was probably abused. Probably. Which would give you even more fascination with that area for it to be removed. Wayne built model boats out of construction paper. Really? He, when he went to prison, he became much more sophisticated and built uh, with his model building, built beautiful ships and cars uh, like hot rods and Mustangs and Delivery vans and all kinds of cars wow. out of cracker boxes, match boxes, thread, toothpicks, interesting straws, things like that. So it was very wow. artistic. Yeah. And uh, Fleek made the remark, uh, Wayne couldn't plan anything beyond a model boat. Mm-hmm. Well, even then, you can you can walk away from that. He could visualize <laughs> this boat, but yeah. he couldn't. He couldn't remember what he did from one day to the next. Yeah. Well, and so that that would tell me that when he was suffocated or his mother tried to, you know, kill him, that he, the what part of his brain cells were damaged. Mm-hmm. 
and that he kept he you know he kept his right brain from his left brain and his artistic part of his brain was kept very much intact but his logical skills were probably what were damaged before we close out this episode uh i wanted you to let our listeners know how you came across this case in the first place well as i mentioned art fleek and i knew each other our whole lives and well art uh had been diagnosed with cancer. He knew he was going to die, and he wanted the story to be told. Oh. We both said that at the same time. That just breaks yeah. my heart. Yeah. And so you're you're telling the story. He died in 2017. Right. Oh, wow. so that hasn't even been very long. I'm so sorry. You know, it's there's a lot more to the story mm-hmm. than you can read on the Internet for sure. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. they didn't, I mean, they don't, you know, and a lot of times I think people forget what you read on the internet and what you read, you know, in articles is just a summation, like yeah. a, a summary, a, you know, a skimming of the story itself. There's usually so many more moving parts. Oh, yeah. That you That's why of. when we're going to cover a case here, if there's a book on it, I'm like, that person has probably done years of oh, research. Yeah. Well, and thank you so much for advocating for yeah. for art and and for and for the truth and for justice. Yeah. I'll I'll yeah. just mention this about Wayne's situation now. Now that he's in prison for the rest of his life, and he's sixty three, I believe, something like that. The evidence in his case is in a warehouse. It's by law in a capital case. The evidence has to be retained indefinitely. Theoretically, the blue tarp. Mm-hmm. And plastic bags and all those things, what the clothes that Wayne, Wayne was wearing the day that, uh, that Justin disappeared and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff is there. And um, he doesn't have an attorney. He can't afford an attorney. Public defenders are busy with hundreds of cases. You know, cops are busy with mm-hmm. new cases, old cases, cold cases, uh, Wayne can't get anybody to help him. He's hopeless at this point uh, in terms of getting somebody to help him. He has handwritten several motions to see the evidence in his case, mm. and has been. they've all been denied, most of them on technicalities. Um, but that evidence is sitting there. And the only thing that would really tell us what happened is for someone to get that evidence out see if there's DNA testable evidence there, test it, compare it to Wayne, compare it to some of these other people Mm -hmm. who are still living, and even Paul, who is deceased, they could get a a match with a DNA match. Does he have kids? Paul, does he have children? Do genetic genealogy. He does have children, They could do it through his children. It's just so wild to me how many cases we talk about that could probably be solved with a single DNA test. Yeah. I know. And we realize, and people, I know that our listeners or people, they're like, just do it then. Yeah. It costs so it much costs money. It costs so much money. So we, much time and resources. That's where the hang up is. And yeah. I think, you know, I'm the same way. If uh-huh. I hear something, I'm like, just did it. Just do it. Yeah. But just do it. It, it. It's money and resources yeah. that, you know, a lot of police departments don't have. And so that's. That's why advocacy for these cases are so important mm-hmm. because you have to bring movement so yeah. that, you know, so people will, district attorneys, people will say, okay, we need to find justice with this mm-hmm. and really make sure that we have the right person behind bars. Yeah. If he didn't commit this murder, 
He's an innocent person behind bars. So that's, that's the last thing that I wanted to bring up because I didn't want, uh, to get those emails. If you're defending a child killer, you know, um, here's the deal, (laughs) regardless of, of what crimes you commit, uh, if you don't commit a crime, the person that committed the crime should be held responsible, period. And so it does not matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you've served your time and you've done, you've went and you've been, you know, mm-hmm. he went into Griffin Memorial, you know, hospital to be, to, to, to get services. And, you know, if you've been rehabilitated, if you've tried to rehabilitate yourself and live as a normal functioning community citizen, mm-hmm. then you should not be just automatically convicted of, right. of someone's murder. Is he guilty of this crime? We have a responsibility in our justice system. Mm-hmm. If we're going to serve justice, you know, and I'm trying to think of the right words. I can't think of the right words, but if we're going to do what we can to make sure that we are protecting and getting the right person behind bars, mm-hmm. then we need to make sure that we do that. Mm-hmm. And I know it's not always going to be hundred percent, but when it's not, that's when you go back and you say, okay, what, you know, there is a lot of doubt here. We need to make sure that this is correct. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know what, it, if, if they reinvestigate it tomorrow and they find hard DNA proof that it was him, regardless, you still have answers. You do. And it, you, it's definitive. You know, and then you can justify putting someone behind bars the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, what's the point of having of letting people rehabilitate themselves and letting people if you're just going to condemn them every chance that you get? Yeah, that there's no point. That in makes that. no sense to me. No, let's rehabilitate them and then condemn them. And we're not saying what he did as a child. No, we're not. We're not saying. Oh yes, that just that's we know. Fine. The, we know the weight of that. But we also know that this is a other crime is, is yes completely separate and it should be treated as such. There's that and that's yeah. exactly right. There is the answer. Yeah. It should yeah. be treated as a completely separate incident. Y'all are good at this. <laughs> well, thank you. We've had a thank you bit for of being here as well. <laughs> I'm super excited about reading the book. Yeah, I'm gonna get me a copy. I am too. Well, again, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, get the book. Sirens Network. Here you go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Boom. Bye. You've reached the end of our episode. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Join Raven next time on the Sirens Podcast. Do we have an outro? That's our outro, isn't it?